Welcome to A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. Here's your host, Hans Christian Wittinghus. Today's episode and one next week is going to be a bit different than my last few ones. These two episodes are my A Year on Tour with Wittinghus Best of 2020 specials. Basically, I've put together two episodes with some of mine and my patrons' favorite bits of all the amazing guest episodes I've done this year. The first one contains clips from my talks with Nathan Robertson, Fernando Rivas, Christian Polly, Anas Antonsen, and also Kasia Propali. Also, you should stay tuned at the end of the final bit, as I will reveal the prizes that can be won this month if you sign up as a patron on patreon.com meetinghoops. I promise the prizes are a bit bigger this month than the previous months. Speaking of patrons, I'm up two since the latest episode, so a big and warm welcome to Anas and Jamie. We're now a team of 33 patrons, but there's still room for more. If you want to support more than you already do by listening, but not by becoming a patron, writing a review on iTunes or sharing episode on social media when you listen to it is also worth a lot and it really helps the podcast grow. It has been a while since my latest review so I do hope a few of you will take just a couple of minutes to do so now. Anyway let's just get started with some of the highlights of 2020 on this podcast. The first clip today is from my episode with the English Mixed and Men's Doubles champ, Nathan Robertson. I asked Nathan what he saw as his greatest strength as a player, and the conversation turned into a chat about character as well. My biggest, I mean, my hatred for losing was a strength, uh, even though people, you know, parents now would say, um, you know, to kids, oh, you shouldn't hate losing too much, but it really, it drives a competitive fire inside yourself. Um, and then my strongest badminton quality, I think, which I find the hardest to coach, now I'm a coach, is that I think I could see what was happening on the other side of the court um, with where people were move, moving, which meant I could see where the gaps were on the court. Uh, and certainly when I was playing my best, uh, I found it, and focused, I found it really easy to kind of play shots and know that the opponents weren't there. Um, but again, that is something very difficult to coach. And I always mm. say to the other coaches, if we could teach anticipation and reading of the game easily, uh, we would like, we would have the golden ticket. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It is one of the most difficult things to, uh, to learn. Yeah. I think the, like the only way to do it is to play a lot and maybe also watch a lot of the uh, videos to get better understanding. But I feel sometimes it also, it's, it's almost impossible to to learn it at the the highest level if you just don't have it yeah it's really difficult i think i talk about it a lot as a coach now mm. um i talk about seeing seeing the picture on the other side of mm. the court and mm. seeing seeing the vision of course when it's singles um you might see the gaps a little bit easier um because you know there's not two players rushing yeah. around in, in the court we've got one so the gaps can appear a bit easier but in doubles to see the picture can be difficult because now everyone is so fast and 
kind of pressing all the time, especially in, in men's doubles. It's a, it's a difficult picture to see gaps sometimes. Mm. But I got quite a few questions uh, where some of the guys uh, that asked them also uh, kind of gave the impression that, that they saw you as a player where your biggest strength might might have been uh, the mental side of the game. So you're also talking a bit about that by saying, yeah, you can see the gaps and so on, but they also felt like you were like a big game player that when it matters the most, you would always kind of uh, be on top mentally and win win the mental battle and in some way get into the hit of, uh, of your opponent. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, like say, for me, it was if I if I had this real... 100% focus on on achieving a result or a tournament um, then I thought I was very difficult to beat then um, I, I had it almost all the time in team events just because I was really desperate to lead the team um, if the mixed doubles was first which it often was in team events um, so I very very rarely lost many team matches um, against all the top top pairs in the world um, And yeah, I think I just had this focus. And as I got into those kind of, you know, golden years, as you were talking about them, I had this kind of tick list of tournaments I wanted to win. Uh, and I kind of just ticking them off. But once I'd won one, I kind of lost the motivation for that tournament, like the years after, um, which is, you know, it's not a good thing to say, a positive thing, but that was just my character. I was just really focused to win it. And then, you know, there's... I ticked almost everything. Obviously, I didn't get the Olympic gold. And uh, the Danish Open was one I believe that I should have won. I think I lost in the final three times. Um, right. And the Indian Indonesian Open also, I didn't win because we lost in the final. But um, yeah, they're the only two really that I didn't tick off. So I can yeah. be quiet. Yeah, 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 you can, you can for sure. But I, I don't think it's a bad thing to say that that you kind of lost uh, motivation to to try and uh, win it again, or desire is maybe the a better word. I'm sure you were still motiv- motivated when you went on court. But we all, we all, uh, yeah, work differently, and I, I think it's a, a strength that you could like so hard just set your sights on on one thing and then then go for it and then just move on to to the next thing. But then you've never really been. A guy that was uh, interested in in setting records or like trying to yeah win multiple times of uh, yeah of anything. No, and I I don't know you know we'll be totally honest and say my focus levels throughout the year. Let's take mm. any year; it would just change a little bit. It just wouldn't always be like consistent 100%. It would just dip and come back up and. You know, and then I just needed to focus on the events. Um, but yeah, when maybe when maybe, focus- maybe you yeah, maybe you also needed that to to keep your level high. Like if you if someone had tried to force you into just keeping your focus high all the time, then probably I would imagine that your motivation would then die out in in, in some way. Yeah, and I think it maybe wasn't my character um, to mm. do that all the time. That intensity, like every day, the you know every single tournament. It's it takes an unbelievable character to bring that the whole time, especially if you're, you know, in the top, top couple of players in, in ranking. It's, I find those players amazing uh, who go on to spend 10 years just number one and keep doing it time after time. They have a, you know, a special chip in their brain, which is letting yeah. them do this, which not many players have at all. Um, so yeah, I definitely wouldn't say I'm one of those, um, but maybe I enjoyed my time a bit more than those guys. Who knows? 
Um, but yeah, I did. I did love the mental battle over the net as well because you're so close yeah. to your opponents, and yeah, I liked looking people in the eye and thinking, okay, what's happening now? <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you actually say that you would get more of that in in men's doubles compared to to mixed doubles because there's uh, maybe a bit more of uh, testosterone on on court in uh, in a men's doubles? Yeah, there is, um, and yeah, I'm sure people who played against me would say they they had a good mental battle over the net mm. and. Uh, I know, you know, we laugh with some of the Danish coaches like uh, Thomas Downgard and uh, mm. Jim Lattson, who do the uh, who does the TV now. That we had some good shouting battles, and the volume definitely <laughs> got turned up a few levels. I imagine. I know. Like- Obviously, we also need to hear from the Fernando Rivas episode, which is still probably my own favorite episode. So go listen to that one if you haven't already. Or even re-listen to it, as there's so much gold in this one that I had an impossible task in picking out the best bits. I tried anyway, and first up is a small bit where Fernando talks about the importance of knowing your own limits and how a good team should work. I'm not afraid of uh, giving up the responsibility. I'm keen on because uh, let's let's think that um, the important, the center of the process are the players. So the best thing you can do is just to give to provide them with the best possible uh, professionals you can get. So I know my limits. I think this is very important and. Um, in my philosophy, and this is what I what I told my um, my Anas, my assistant coach, and uh, Guillermo, the, the the physical trainer, Maria, the mental trainer. Okay, if we're gonna, everything starts from tactics. So this is what we're gonna go for the last for the next month or the next two months. That implies developing in this and this and this and this. What do you think, Maria, your mental approach will be or Carolina's uh, development should be concerning these uh, areas? And uh, Guillermo, what do you think about uh, how could could develop, uh, for instance, um, uh, uh, increase the performance in long rallies and the the rally after the long rallies? So, um, and this is something that I, 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 I... I ask a lot of questions to my uh, my my colleagues, and uh, I'm as I told you, I'm, I'm very keen of listening what what they are because they are the experts. And if I if I have them in the team, this is their responsibility. I mean, I'm not I'm, I don't have people in my team to tell me that I am right. Actually, that would be a very bad uh, a very bad situation. I I have them to. To actually to help the process, and and this is uh, what a team is, I think. I also asked Fernando if he felt he had a possible world champion on his hands before the start of the 2014 World Championships in Denmark, which was Carolina Marin's big breakthrough. That question led to a really interesting recap of the event insight into their preparations and also how Fernando worked his magic from the coach's chair. A medalist? Yes. 
Yeah, I can tell you the story. I mean, and, and it's also, you can, you can go to the Spanish Federation website and it's, uh, there is a video stating, um, a video of me saying what were, what were the, the goals of the season. And the goal of the season was to have a medal in, 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 in 2014. So uh, it was not uh, by chance. We, we had a very good preparation of the, of the tournament. And it, it is true that the draw was difficult, and it was uh, one behind second second round, if I remember correctly. Right. Karina uh, had never won, beaten a, a, a Chinese top player, never. But in my opinion, and and according to my my view of matching the the, the playing styles, I think it was the best draw ever for her, because uh, because yeah, Wang Yihan was a. Uh, um, a very consistent player, but very predictable, very very predictable. And also a few days before, um, it was, we were training in the in the main venue, and I I had the feeling that there was a, 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 a she was having an argument with changing, hmm. and uh, I talked to Anas and I said, yeah, "There's something something going on with uh, with uh, with her." So I think I think we have a chance. We we we. We had I don't know how how many thousand um, uh, strokes analyzed from her, and uh, and we did a very good preparation. The the Carolina after the match told me, "Is it's like I had played this match before." I think the the first set, the second set, I remember it was twenty one nine. It was yeah, it was all yeah yeah yeah. So it was uh, it was a. An incredible match. So that that gave her the boost to to go all, all all the all the way up to the to the gold medal. Um, and it's not like she had easy opponents afterwards. I looked it no, up no. yesterday, and I could see that she had Tai Su Ying in the match. Tai Su Ying, no, and then there was uh, PV Sindhu in the semifinals, and mm-hmm. then Shuri. Shuri was uh, one of the, the the probably the most beautiful moments in my coaching uh, approach. Because um, we had a very clear uh, game plan, so it was not not to play to the round the head corner. You can play, put pressure on the on the, on the forehand uh, back line and then and then open space. But um, it was uh, yeah, it was difficult. It was a final. It was uh, uh, the favorite was Shuri, and uh, she was tied because uh, um, she was tied. But I remember she was seven down, seven eleven down, and and I said, "Hey, um, do you have do you, do you have in mind what you have to do?" And she said, "Yes, but everything is going too slow. Um, so it's okay, but uh, you know, in a few minutes, that, that's going to be a flag, that's going to be an anthem, and it's, it's up to you whether it's going to be Spain or it's going to be China." Because if you know what you have to do, just do it. Mm. And I, I always like to ask the same question. You're in the final. What's the worst thing you can do? Uh, it can happen, sorry. Did you lose? Just, just go, go for it. But the day, the day before, the day before when, because our goal was, no, two days when, when she beat Tai Chu Jin, it was actually, that was a thriller because she was nine, 19 all in the second set, I think. And there was, uh, I think Tai Chu Jin missed one shuttle. It was uh, having, having uh, won the first set. Um, then, then she found herself in the semifinals. And in the evaluation of the match, I said, okay, 
I was teasing her, you know, uh, she's very easy to tease when, when competition comes, you know, mm. I said, okay, yes, we had already the, the goal. Then we have the medal. Then now you have to choose the color you want. And she said, I don't think, I, not, not even after a second, I want gold. So, uh, yeah, I said, okay, let's go for gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good decision. <laughs> I think I, I read that quote before that you uh, you asked her which uh, national anthem she wanted to hear yeah. on the yeah on the podium, uh, and it made me think because you've been in a lot of high pressure situations with Carolina, also mm. Olympic final and another two uh, world championship finals. In in a situation like that, do you see it as as a coach? Is it more important to? speak to a player's mindset than talking about tactical adjustments because I, I feel that you, you're a coach that has a very uh, you're very well prepared you have a very strict game plan that you you know what needs to happen and your player knows it as well so is it more important mm-hmm. in those situations instead of adjusting your tactics but actually to speak to the, the player's uh, mindset and get them in, in the right mindset Definitely. If you don't have the right mindset, mindset, you you can you can uh, talking about tactics is like talking in Chinese to to Carolina. It's like she doesn't understand anything because nothing is coming in, nothing is coming in, and nothing is coming out. Obviously. Um, so yeah, sometimes it's uh, but the the approach I use to set a, a, a correct mindset is different. Sometimes it's just talking nicely. Sometimes it's just listening. Sometimes I'm yelling, so uh, it, it depends on the situation. But I, I can, and 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 sometimes I I, I just uh, choose the wrong one, you know. But uh, of course, it's it's part of the of, of the game. But I, I make mistakes as well. Um, but I remember in the in 2015 semifinals, uh, she was playing bad. She had the focus on the umpire. Uh, she was uh, arguing with the empire all along, and uh, and uh, and the, the the match was was just going in a different direction. So um, uh, it, it was against uh, Sung Ji Hyun. I think she was uh, losing 13-8 in the third set. It's a terrible match, terrible match, and I had tried everything. And all of a sudden, I just stood up and I said, hey, just stop talking to the umpire. Just fight for it. Fight. <laughs> because you are not going to... Sunji Hyung is not going to give you away the match. If you want to win, you have to get it. And then <laughs> she scored 10 points in a row. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, so that's in one that moment, times where you just you pat yourself on the back and say, okay, uh, yeah, I did so a good job. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Turning the attention to one of my few Asian guests and also female guest, Gresha Polly, who was an absolute star on the podcast. I asked Gresha what she learned from playing with as many different partners as she has and what has been the secret to why she's been so successful with all of them. She's been ranked top 10 in the world with five different partners, so obviously she had a brilliant answer ready. My secret is back to the, back to this one. Hmm? Work on yourself first before you want to work with others, because that's you know it will 
you know it you will succeed we will get succeed if we if we know how to bring ourselves right mm. before we go to the other to the other person so i think i guess that um i have the i have the secret that since the very young kid that i have to work on myself first example doubles we are doubles i have to do good on myself first and then my partner will follow me something like that my partner will feel good feel comfortable when partnering me so i have to work on myself first if i don't if i only depend on my partner then i you know and then then the partner and then the other person will feel will feel tired of us so i don't think that, that i don't think that it is not a big you know a big secret it's just a little secret that i have to work on myself first yeah i, I, that, I think it's actually that, it's a brilliant advice yeah. and I, I think you could say it's a big secret because when i think of doubles pairings i think about yeah. working together but you actually say start on working on yourself which is more of a mm-hmm. uh, singles approach but it, it, yeah. it makes it makes good sense uh, the way you you explain it but it's actually the opposite thinking of uh yeah what i would have thought uh so i, I think it makes it makes great sense uh, and i think it's a great great advice to, to yeah yeah and then not only about the you know the the technique or physique about the badminton but we have to work on our attitude as well when i partner senior or older than me then i have to have i have to respect them even I partner now uh, yeah, a lot younger than me, then I have to respect them as well. And then I have, you know, um, everyone wants to be respected. Mm. In this life, everyone wants to be heard and everyone wants to be respected. Mm. So why we don't expect, if we want to, if, we, if they want to accept us, then we have to respect them. Mm. So if but the 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 night the the i mean the nice one is this everyone is different the character we have to learn right so like i don't know you and your wife you know dub playing double is like a marriage hmm? yeah. <laughs> you have to know your partner <laughs> <laughs> you know like a marriage you know the communication you know yeah. the <laughs> so you the also need you need to know which fights to to actually yeah and then yeah what, the, what is the what what is my partner like what they don't like mm-hmm. and i always i always ask i mean like for, uh, after like maybe um 25 years and then i always ask my partner what do you like and what you don't like mm-hmm. if what you like this and i i will try to do it if you don't like this and i won't i won't do it mm-hmm. so it's okay. just you know we have to know we have to get to know each other yeah did, did you ever experience when you when you ask that that your partner then likes something that you don't like which would make it difficult to actually actually do it mm, yeah but yeah sometimes yeah yeah that there was there was not not make me comfortable you know mm, but yeah. i have to do it I, I might like i have to you know i have to um respect them i mean like i have to, I have to respect this, the, their privacy as well so right so i um 
I guess yeah. that also goes back to then you just have to work on yourself actually uh, to yeah to, work yeah. on myself and then I have to okay okay I have to work on myself first okay yeah. <laughs> respect them. In the next bit, I'm talking to Anas Antonsen about his confidence, where it comes from, how he works with it, but also how being confident is not the same as never getting nervous. He also explains how he learned why he has to be calculated with how he handles himself in court. To start off uh, with, with the question about confidence, I, I don't know where, where it comes from, but I've always been really comfortable uh, confident in my uh, in my abilities when it comes to to my badminton um, I don't know where it comes from I've been asked that many many times uh, in the past and it's difficult for me to, to, to totally answer um, but I would also say that for me it's <laughs> maybe it's all I mean it why, why wouldn't I have a lot of confidence? I mean, I've always been really, really good at playing badminton. Um, always been, you know, the best uh, in my age group or even the, the age group uh, above uh, my own. Um, so why wouldn't I have a lot of confidence? And I've, I mean, showed to myself and to everyone many, many times now that, that I'm good at, at doing this. So it's, for me, it's quite obvious that, I mean, why not? Um, and back to back to the other question about you know keeping calm and 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 those type of things. Um, I think I've learned that actually in the stores and I am the year where I where I won in 2019 in January. Um, I was struggling with a bunch of things. Um, I couldn't really breathe well. It was the the first time that I've experienced that. I just came from uh, three or four weeks in India. Um, I don't know if, if if it was because of the you know the air quality not as good as in, in India as it is uh, other places. So I, I was struggling to to breathe, um, and um, what I did was I really had to focus on on breathing, uh, and I was focusing on you know keeping keeping my energy. On. I I didn't want to spend any energy on you know being loud on the court and running around shouting and stuff like that. So that was, I mean, I turned over a new leaf um, at that tournament. I, I kind of learned how to control my breath and control my emotions. And I learned that I should focus on only, only playing badminton, only focus on the, the, um, the tactic, uh, and the mental aspects of the game um, yeah use all my energy on that and also as, as you mentioned it is a loud place and it's it's a difficult place to play and you just need to you need to be able to to stay calm in there and control your your emotions and um, it's difficult to think so I think I, I, I've learned many things um, from playing in Historis 9 and that situation with my breathing problems and stuff like that so yeah so you actually feel that if you uh, if you start uh, like shouting and being more expressive in, on court that that takes away maybe just a little bit of your your focus and you cannot afford to do that if you you want to beat the the best players 
I think if you go back and, and watch some of my matches from, from the past, mm. um, go back to when I was maybe 18 or 19 years old, I was really loud on court. I enjoyed, you know, putting on, on a show and I enjoyed shouting and being loud on the court. Um, but then you just learn from playing against the best players in the world where I got my ass kicked, of course, uh, when I just arrived to, to the super serial level. Um, I think I learned the hard way that you can scream and shout and, and, and act uh, weird all you want. You're not going to, to beat Li Chongwei or Ching Long, the best players in the world. Uh, by doing that, you have to be better at playing badminton. Um, so I think I learned it uh, the hard way. Uh, I learned from the best players in the world that, um, that it, it might work on you know, you know, the, the, the circuit or what do we call it, the European tour. Um, does not work against the absolute best players in the world. Uh, so, yeah, I learned it from... Yeah, I, I, I remember a very specific match in the, I think it was at Denmark Open where you played against the Chin Chin Cho, where you were on fire, absolutely on fire, and you were shouting and everything. I'm not sure if it was the same year you also played Huang Yushang or maybe the, the next year, but you, you had a couple of matches in Denmark where you were, like, so expressive and shouting and everything, and it was like, uh, yeah, you just died in the, the third game against Cho that you couldn't keep your focus. Uh, and it makes perfect sense now that I, when I look back at it and then compared to what, what you say now that, that you, you learned it after uh, matches like, like those, right? Yeah, I, I've learned to be, you know, calculated um, when it comes to, to everything, when it comes to my energy, especially. Um, a badminton match, is, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And if you blow it all out uh, in the first game, you 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 will have a, a a tough time winning winning uh, the second or or maybe the third game. So yeah, you have to be you have to be calculated. Um, yeah, so that's a good lesson. Mm. And I just want to go back to something you said about your uh, you know, like why you wouldn't be confident. I think it, you had a really good point that you you've always been good and you've been successful uh, no matter what level you play that. But a lot of players. F- has been uh, have been successful during the junior years and also in, in the senior years, but they get, seem to get affected by bad results and then go down for a period. To me, it doesn't seem like you, you get affected in the same way. So how do you deal with periods where you, where you don't perform to the level you, you know you can or where you get frustrated? How do you deal with that to, to keep your confidence so high? Um... That's a that's a good question. I will I will start I will start out by saying that it's it's I think it's often misunderstood. Um, I mean, it's often I, I think people have the perception of me being you know overly confident and never feel nervous or anxiety or anything. I mean, I definitely feel those things as well. Um, but what might separates me from a lot of other players is how how i handle it so then back to your question i think it's about you know realizing that realizing what it is i mean when you feel these nerves and these emotions that is that is difficult to explain um try to you know analyze it try to recognize it and and analyze it and you know just take it for what it is. I mean, I, I've got to understand that it's just, 
it's just you know emotions <laughs> and they are not really that important i mean i often what i say to myself is that i'm, I'm nervous but i'm never scared i mean i'm often nervous going into a match but i'm not scared of it and i actually try to you know appreciate when i feel these nerves um for instance um, at 19-19 in the second game in the Denmark Open final uh, against the Rasmus Gamgate recently. Um, I kind of, you know, first thing in the process um, to overcome these things is uh, first of all to recognize, okay, now I feel something. I mean, now I'm getting nervous, I'm getting shaky. I'm thinking about a lot of things that probably not beneficial for, you know, my chances to win this match um, and then you try to you know react off of them um, I try to you know I try to enjoy the the moment I try to enjoy being stressed and being nervous even though it sounds weird I actually I actually appreciate those nerves those feelings those emotions um, because it just, you know, it, I think it's, it, it's exciting to, to go out there and I don't know how to, to phrase it, but it, it develops you as a person and as a player. Um, and once you, have, once, once you are, you know, comfortable in the uncomfortable, you are a tough, tough player to beat, and especially in those type of situations. Um, so it's... It's all about, you know, realizing that what, what is the worst that can happen here? Okay, I lose a badminton match, then what? I mean, the world goes on again tomorrow. Um, I mean, yeah, the world goes on and it's not really that bad. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? So I think it's uh, important to analyze it, analyze your emotions and, you know, take it from what it is. We'll round off this first highlight episode with one bit that took quite a bit of courage from my guest. It's of course Kasia Parapalli who sang Ed Sheeran's Shape of You on one of my very first guest episodes. How cool of him to do it without knowing anything before I asked him during the interview. I loved it and it still puts a smile to my face listening to it even now, so I hope it will for you guys too. Club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go. Me and my friends at the table doing shots, drinking fast, then we talk slow. We come over and start up a conversation with just me, and trust me, I give it a chance. Now I'll take my hand, stop, put my man in the jukebox, and then we start to dance. And I'm singing like, girl, you know I want your love. Your love was handmade for somebody like me. Come on now, follow my lead. I may be crazy, don't mind me, say boy. Let's not talk too much. Grab on my waist and put that body on me. Come and now follow my lead. Come, come and now follow my lead. Mm-hmm. I'm Beautiful, in love with the shape Beautiful, of you. Push and pull like a magnet do. Although my heart is falling too. I'm in love with your body. Last night you were in my room. And now my bed she smells like you. Every day discovering something brand new. I'm in love with your body, oh I, oh I, oh I, oh I. I'm in love with your body. <laughs>
Okay, I'm giving you I'm giving you a standing ovation, mate. That's unbelievable. I, I really didn't think that you were going to sing on the podcast, so I cannot oh, imagine okay, any better way to uh, to finish this episode. <laughs> it's your podcast, man. I'll sing. Yeah. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I, it's really going to be hard for my next guest to uh, to do it any better than you did. Uh, I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. And another one with more highlights will come out in about a week's time. And if you're real fast, you can even let me know if there's certain bits you would like to include in that episode. Just send me an email on a yearntour at gmail.com. You don't have to be very specific. Just mention the episode and roughly what the subject was and I'll find it. As I said in the beginning, it's also time to reveal the prizes that to be won this month in a draw between all of my amazing patrons. This month there will be three winners, so with currently 33 patrons, you all have a pretty good chance of winning something. And as always, you'll get one lot per dollar you support with per month. And remember, you can still sign up to enter. Enter, just sign up before the end of the month and you're in as the winners will be drawn in the start of January. Anyway, on to the prizes. Third prize is one box of 12 vitamin wells, the flavor of course up to the winner. Second prize is also a box of vitamin wells, but I'll add in one of my signed t-shirts as well. First prize is a brand new FZ Forza racket of the same kind I play with. I include a signed Dittingo shirt and also I'll do a 15 minute Zoom call to chat about anything you want. So I hope that's a uh, nice prize for uh, the winner. And of course, if you don't want to have a 15 minute call with me, we can just uh, skip that part. Anyway, I have to thank, thank my sponsors, Weissman Well and FZ Forza for making this possible. And I do hope this also goes to show how much I appreciate the support you guys show me. My patrons, you are the main reason why I keep being so motivated to do this podcast. You have to know that. But Patreon or not, you're all listeners of the show though, so I appreciate you all and I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to A Year on Tour with Vittinghus. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, share and leave a comment in iTunes or your preferred podcast app.